1: come to this uh, Bible study. How many of you have uh, by now heard of uh, 2012? Raise your hand. Okay, very good. How many of you are concerned about 2012? Good. Uh, For your information, uh, the Mayan, Mayan calendar of, so December 21st, 2012 is the end of the Mayan calendar. It's designed to reset by its very nature. It's cyclical. Because that's when all the planets are aligned, Where is going to happen again. Just an FYI. However, how many of you remember me talking about the singularity? Not a lot. Okay, good. So the singularity is not 2012. It has nothing to do with this, and it's not science fiction. It's actually very much science. I talked about it when I was going through the scientific side of Genesis. And the singularity is a term coined by... Uh, by a uh, um, well-known science um, author, Kurt Vonnegut, I think is the name. And um, it is the convergence of uh, nanotechnology, microbiology, and robotics. It is when these three sciences get together, and there is is, um, uh, millions and millions of dollars being invested right now in all these three. And IBM, Microsoft, uh, Intel, many of those companies are... Investing very heavily into this. I've told you once this singularity takes place, there is going to be a fundamental change in humanity, something that no one yet can even perceive or imagine. I wanted to give you a little bit of an update. There was, uh, anyone looked at the latest issue of Discover? No. Uh, you might want to look at it. Uh, this is starting now to become more, um, uh, getting, you know, starting to. Um, um, draw the attention of the main uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the media, so Discover had this issue, and the cover was uh, how can you go essentially something to the extent you can go shopping for a better self uh, but the, just the article is that uh, it, they list now the number of organs that can be grown out of your own cells, so ears, noses, kidneys, and on and on the list goes, so we 're closer and closer to the point where you can effectively replace. About 80% of your entire body. In Israel today, uh, they, have, uh, they have successfully invented, there is a company in Israel that has successfully invented robots that can crawl in your veins. The purpose of those robots, of course, would be uh, that if you are an, at risk of having a heart attack, you take a pill, f- fill of those nanobots. Nano, essentially, is one, one million the width of your hair. That's the size. So essentially, it's very small. And you take that pill full of those things, and now they live in your veins, and they keep your veins open. Now, they can't do that yet, but they're inching closer to that. That's where you will have what is called an intelligent body. So you take bots for your kidney, bots for your heart, bots for your, for your um, um, um liver, but also diabetes. You have a whole, essentially, uh, internal network of bots working to keep you healthy. But now take that one step forward. You have these bots living in your brain. And they wirelessly connect you to the Internet. So you meet somebody, and you you auto-Google him. Or on Facebook. You know nothing about him, but you look at him, and all the information scrolls before you. This is just the beginning. This is called the singularity. It is the point at which men as we know him will no longer exist. It is the point at which you're going to have firewalls inside of you to prevent attacks. War, conventional war as we know it, is going to change drastically. You won't need cars and, and, and I mean planes and bombs and all these things all you will need are nanobots drop these things how many of you have seen uh, the the day the world uh, the day the world end uh, the latest with the uh, kino Reeve, which is a really poor remake of the original the original is a masterpiece you've seen that that's exactly what that at the end of the movie that's exactly what that Big hulking robot does. It produces these nanobots, and so you just can. You, you essentially get to the ultimate biological warfare: clean, no input on, no, no impact on on the on the on the on the, um, on, um, on the environment, and or on structures or on an economy. So what we're we going to see is the life of man being extended beyond any any of our wildest imagination. Your children, those of you who are young, your grandchildren, will probably be able to live four, five, six, seven hundred years. Humanity as we know it will no longer be, or we'll have two classes of humanity. Those who can and those who can't. Already in a scientific community, imagine, the scientific community is already calling for ethical boundaries. Right? The religious establishment is still not yet in the picture. I haven't seen anything issued by anybody about the control of these three branches of science. Microbiology, nanotechnology, and robotics. But it is happening. If you're concerned right now about the economic crisis, and you should be, it's going to get a lot more severe before it gets better. But if you think that this is the end, don't. What is coming after this, the tsunami of inventions that's going to revolutionize the way we live is absolutely incredible you must keep tab on the inventions you must they're inventing right now they've they've successfully inventing a glass glass with which they can build skyscrapers only on glass they're not, right now approved the first project to build the first the first space elevator 60 miles high and the inventions go on. I mean, the pace of invention has increased substantially. So we are at the cusp of something we, don't, we can't even imagine. It's going to be far more dramatic than the Industrial Revolution, far more dramatic than discovering America, far more dramatic than the, the, the creation of the Internet. It's something we can't yet imagine, the welding of biology with electronic. We take aspirin, which is uh, magical to our ancestors, we don't realize it. Aspirin is magic. You have a headache, you take this little white thing, the headache is gone. Imagine antibiotic. Talk about witchcraft. How do you make a fever disappear in matters of days? You're better. We don't even think about it. We've accepted it that we can meld chemicals with biology. It's something completely accepted, and it's the norm. It's going to be with robots. And we are going to accept it even faster. You know why? There's no, there are no secondary effects. That's the idea. You have a cancer, take a pill. The bots will go after it. And on and on the list goes. And so Genesis is ever more important because as we move forward in the third millennium, the question is going to be very, the central question is what is man? What is man? Once you are able to play with genetics, once you are able to play with biology, once you are able to do things to change the very composition of the human body, how will you know what man is? So, ahead of us, there is going to be a very severe religious crisis. Because once you hit the core of who man is, and once science gets to the point of doing things that we can't even imagine today, how will our faith in an abstract God survive? Those are important questions going to be facing you more than going to be facing me. Especially the, you, the young, the young ones. You are the ones who are going to be hit with this, and your kids even more so. Genesis is really critical for our faith because it establishes the humanity, the, the, the human face in the image of God not in the image of the internet, right? That's key. And unless we're really grounded in a true understanding of who human is, that's why the work of John Paul II is going to be so prophetic, because he was an anthropologist. Anthropology deals with the nature of man. And his work is going to be so prophetic and so right on time for what is to come. Don't be lulled into thinking that what we're going through right now is the end of the world. It could be, but there is no reason to believe so. It's a severe crisis that is well-deserved. We deserve it. I'm already reading now that in many cases, because of the crisis, they did just a Gallup, um, Gallup did a poll, and people now feel closer together than they did two years ago. Surprised? No. Right. The, the, the level of hedonism that we reached in this economy based on greed, is killing us. An adjustment is necessary. Yeah, we have to pray. We have to pray for jobs. We have to pray to be able to go through it. God doesn't abandon those who love Him. But we have to also understand and be very realistic about what is going on. This world has gone completely nuts. There is out there right now a website that, is, that has apparently 4.5 million subscribers. 4.5 million subscribers. And the motto of that website is, life is short, have an affair. The subscribers are married people looking to have an affair. How can we, how can God look on this and sustain this economy that is supporting that sort of stuff? The moral fabric is breaking down and we need an adjustment. We need a course correction. God has to say enough is enough. But what lays ahead once this is all said and done, is going to be, again, a renaissance of Catholicism. That's what we're moving towards. And that's because Catholicism is the only answer. There's no other. There's no other answer out there that sustains the heart of man. Once all these scientific advances hit, the only satisfying answer is what the Catholic Church has to offer. I'll be giving you periodically updates as I see them. I'm tracking this fairly closely But it's really important to, again, emphasize that the book Genesis isn't just about the past. It's very much about the present, about our present. And it's going to be very much about the future. So with that, let's turn then to chapter 27 in the book of Genesis and read it together. By way of summary, we've seen Isaac having two boys, Esau and Jacob. And uh, last chapter, chapter 26, ended with... Esau, having taken two Hittite wives against the wish of his parents, and they made life very difficult to Jacob and to Rebekah. Uh, I'm sorry, to, to Esau and to, uh, to Isaac and to Rebekah. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old, I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow. And go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, that I may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me savory food that I may eat it, and bless you before the Lord, be, uh, before, the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my word as I command you. Go to the flock and fetch me two good kids, that I may prepare from them savory food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing." His mother said to him, Upon me be your curse, my son, only obey my word, and go fetch them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the kids she put upon his hands and upon the smooth part of his neck. And she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. And he said, Bring it to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his garments, and blessed him, and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven, and of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, and said to his father, Bless me, even, even me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came with guile, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, Behold, I have made you Lord, I have made him your Lord, and all his brothers, I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered him, Behold, Away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, but when you break loose, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Labad, my brother, and Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and fetch you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the Hittite women, if Jacob marries one of the Hittite women, such as these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? So this is the, um, the chapter in which Jacob essentially, um, on the face of it, steals the blessing that was destined to the firstborn, Esau. We have to remember first and foremost that Esau had already um, essentially sold his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup that happened um, one chapter prior to this one. And after he satisfied his hunger, he not only showed no regret, but also displayed a, he displayed a careless indifference to the sacred institution. And then he went away and did what his father didn't want him to do. He married two Hittite women when he was not supposed to do such a thing. And yet he comes now and he wants the blessing what why do you suppose he wants this blessing what's in it for him material goods that's what he's after right in his mind if he can get the the, the blessing of his father it's it's essentially it acts like a will and he gets the better part that's what he's after on the flip side jacob resor, re, um, um, Jacob really resorts to um, to guile in order to get the blessing he tricks his father and now how do we Explain that, how do we explain the fact that he actually resorted to a trick in order to get the blessing? One thing we um, we insist on is that the end does not justify the means. the end can never justify the means. If the mean is intrinsically evil, then the end then could not be used to reach a good end. We cannot do that right so for instance. In the case of a a woman who is pregnant due to a rape, abortion is not justified in this instance. Because abortion is intrinsically evil, and an intrinsically evil act cannot justify the end. Other means must must be put in place. So we have to be always aware of that. And that's why... The Catholic moral teaching is of a higher standing than what you would find out there. At every point in our life, what we must do must be good. Why? Because we're called to be saints. We're called to perfection. So therefore, we can never say that in order to get more grace, I'm going to go commit a sin. doesn't work that way. So we have to understand what's going on here. What happened exactly? But before I go through this, notice the importance of the of the paternal blessing, the blessing of the Father. At the same time, notice the importance of the role that Rebecca plays. This is not this is not so much a story about Isaac than it is about Rebecca. Really, the central figure here is Rebecca. And we are going to see why as we proceed through. Notice also how Jacob understands very well that as his father recognizes him, he might end up being cursed. Notice the recognition of blessings and curses even in daily lives. In daily life. It is something that he understands as operative. He does not want to to receive a curse. And not because he's superstitious, Or not because these people are ancient, but simply because the blessings and the curses of a father carry power. We have not, as parents, we haven't been simply given physical authority over our children. We've also been given spiritual authority. And that is why, at the end of the day, parents are the teacher of their children. And that's a responsibility they cannot deny or run away from. They may have others who will assist them, they may have others who will help them, but they're the primary teacher, not the sole teacher. So it is good for parents to help uh, the formation of a a school, it is good for parents to have others help with the education of their their children, but at no point can they abrogate their responsibility. And if you notice, uh, these days, very few parents bless their children. Very few parents, bless the children. How many of you here, especially if you're still living with your parents, or when you were living with your parents, were blessed by your father daily or weekly? Raise your hand. Five. Consider yourself very blessed, and you should pray and you should pray in thanksgiving to God for giving you such a father, who blessed you. If you don't, go back and sit with your parents and have a serious conversation around that they are withholding from you something that God gave them. The power to bless. And that's why St. Paul told all of us, bless and don't curse. And he didn't mean don't swear. He meant don't curse. Because he recognized that as a power given to parents. If you're not blessing your children, think about it. Why? You have that God-given authority as father and mother to trace the sign of the cross on the forehead of your children and tell them that you love them and you bless them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, using holy water. If you're not doing that, how are you fulfilling your Christian duty towards your children? So many parents think, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to make sure I'm going to put money aside for the kids, for school, for this, for that, and the other. They're thinking material, they're thinking horizontally. That's good. It's good. Nothing wrong with it. But none of the material good you're going to give your kids equate one blessing that you give with sincerity of heart. Because with it, you're opening up graces for them to be able to persevere in their faith. You're giving them something that will always carry them forward in all the difficulties of their life. That's your duty. That's your duty as teachers. You must be there to make sure whatever education they're receiving is not contradictory to the faith. Yeah, you have that right. You must. When, when Isaac was old, Isaac is not dying. Actually, he lived quite a bit longer. But he's recognizing that his, because he's associating the fact that his vision is dimming with the fact that he might die. Right? And so he decides to put his house in order. Now, what did he forget? Do you re- recall when Rebekah went and inquired before the Lord about the, two, the twins in her womb? She was given a prophecy, the second will prevail, which she must have shared with her husband. Isaac knew the prophecy, that really it would, the blessing would go to the second, not to the first. But he had forgotten, he had forgotten what God had in store. And so it is with us, so often we forget, we forget. There are those who have Alzheimer's and there those who have some Alzheimer's. Run this test by yourself. When you, go, when you go to Mass, you go to Mass, and then go home, and have a conversation with your family, and ask them the following question. What was the homily about? And more chances they're not, you can't even remember. But you need to realize that it isn't just because you are unable to remember the homily. There are also forces acting against you for you to forget. Right? Satan... And the demons want to rob you from the fruits of the Mass. So, you forget. But if you were to stay after Mass a little bit longer, linger for 10 minutes after Mass, and then reflect on what you heard, think about what you heard, and ask God for guidance, you will remember when you go home. We're too hasty with Mass. we just want to leave. So I do recommend, don't... Get out and leave right after Mass. Stay for five to ten minutes. Especially in the Latin Rite, it, it's, it's um, you know, the, with the speed with which they, they give communion, oftentimes ten minutes haven't gone yet uh, before the end of Mass and reception of communion. Therefore, you're leaving the Mass with Jesus still uh, present in you, materially present. You're taking him out and you're not even aware of what you're doing. It's good to stay. Stay a little longer. And reflect on what you heard. And ask God for guidance about what you heard. Was there something for you specifically that God had in mind? And then share that with your children. Share that with your children. Make sure on Sunday that you have one meal that, is not inter- that cannot be interrupted. It's a family meal. The phones are off. And the purpose of this meal is for everybody to eat together and to talk about God. If you're not doing that, how are you sharing the faith with your kids? You can't just keep God cooped up into the church and He doesn't get into your house. All right? All these things will help you remember. Look what happened here. He forgot. Because he forgot, he was going to get himself in trouble. Had he blessed um, Esau, had, had the blessing went forward... God's will would still have come true. But it would have been a lot more painful for Esau and for Isaac. Not less. Because God has a plan A, which we usually blow. We don't follow it. And he goes to plan B, and we mess this one up too. And then plan C. And on and on to plan Z. And then plan AA. A, B, and so on, because we keep on not wanting to do what he wants. So, it would have worked, but that was not the intent. But there was somebody watching, somebody who was listening, somebody who pondered, and somebody who took action. The interesting thing here is that um, there is use of all five senses in before the blessing is uh, is given. We'll get to that in a minute. One point. He basically, <clears throat> Isaac asked Issa uh, to go out and bring him game. It isn't a tit for tat. It isn't. He's not trying to say, okay, you go give me the food that I like. You know, Big Mac, fries, and right. And then I will then impart upon you the blessing. No, the food is part of the ceremonial. The food is part of the ceremonial of blessing. And you notice in everything we do that is religious, food is there. That's how God always ordained it, because He wants to feed us. So the food is there. And that's why He wants Him to bring him food, so that He can actually go ahead and impart the blessing on Him. And really the expression is, I want to impart upon you my innermost blessing, or my, the blessing of my nefesh, my spirit, that I can bless you. <clears throat> and it's a really important one, because this is a blessing that is coming... Essentially, it's a transference of all the graces that he received on earth to his son. That's what he wants to do. Now, Rebecca hears this, and she takes action. Let me ask this question. Put yourself in the situation, right? You had two sons. One who is sp- spending his time at Vegas, and the other one starting a business. And you already decided... And you, you know, you can tell from the way the two are acting, that this one, who is really trying to do, start a business... Is going to get somewhere. Whereas the other one is lost in the desert. Now, you have a million dollars. What do you do? Well, you think, okay, I'm going to give most of it to the one who's actually starting a business. I'm going to leave some for the other one to take care of him. But that's where money is going, because this is the son that is actually doing what I did. And somehow, as you grow older, you're just going to forget you forget, and you're emotionally attached to the older one, and so you just, you're going to give him the million bucks. Now, this is what the father is doing. Now the mother, here's that. What would you do if you were the mother, if you were Rebecca? I'm asking the women now. What would you do? What would be the first thing that would come to mind? Any suggestion? You encourage the one you're going to go somewhere? Yes. But there is something very, very simple. It's a, I'm asking a very simple question. There's not theological. Very simple. Intervention. Okay, intervention. Yeah? Talk, talk who? Talk uh, Isaac. Yeah. Wouldn't you go talk to your husband? Wouldn't you? Uh, he can. I mean, he's still able to hear. Whether he listens is a different story, but he can hear. Right? Do, do you see what's going on here? Remember, Scripture, oftentimes what is not said... What is not said outright is just as important, but it requires reflection. You've got to slow down, put yourself in a situation, and look at it, and think about it and go, Huh? That makes no sense. There are parts of Scripture that are there, and they do not make sense. But they're waiting for you to notice them. Why didn't she talk to Isaac? See, there is, uh, there is, um, there is this guy who goes to see a doctor. And he says, Doctor, I'm, I'm really concerned. Uh, I think my wife is losing, losing her hearing. She, she can't hear. But, but I, I, don't wanna, I don't want to um, offend her, but I need to find out. What should I do? The doctor says, well, it's really simple. Wait for her to be in the kitchen. Go stand outside and ask her, what's for dinner? You, you, you're going to find out. So he goes home, and he stands out there in the dining room and says, Hey, honey, what's for dinner? No answer. So he gets to the edge of the kitchen. Honey, what's for dinner? No answer. He goes, stands right next to her. Hey, honey, what's for dinner? She gives him this kind of really irritated look. And she says, Potatoes, vegetables, and meat. And I've told you three times. And the funny thing is that while we were at a retreat in, uh, in, the, uh, in Massachusetts at the monastery of the Maronite Monks of Adoration, we were doing uh, lunchtime. Lunch is silent. You don't speak. The abbot... Abbot William walked to one of us, and I'm not going to say who, and slipped by him that joke. He gave it specifically to one of us, which was actually very funny. But be it as it may, the reason why she's not talking to Isaac is because she knows she can't convince him right now on time. Number one, that's the first reason. And what, what is the second reason? What is the second reason? There's a really important second reason. The second reason is the violence of Esau. He already disobeyed her once by marrying those two Hittite women. So she knows that if she's going to let Isaac know, and Isaac has to tell Esau right, that she's going to draw his ire furthermore. So she, she does not want to cause that violence to flare. Wise woman. She, she's really thinking through how to make this happen. And we see her acting in the interest of all. We see her acting in the interest of all. She knows that blessing will, will not be fruitful with Esau. She knows that Isaac, at the end of the day, was not intended on blessing Esau. Uh, and she knows that Jacob was the one supposed to receive the blessing. And, and she knows this is what God wanted. Watch how she does all of this. All right, I I'll have more to say in a minute. I just want to go through the, the literal reading. I'll come back to this. So effectively, she's acting out of love for all of them. Now, she tells him, go get two choice kids. You know, kids are the, sm- the, 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 um, the um, little of the, of the goat. And she prepares them. And now, uh, Jacob is aware that uh, he is not hairy as his brother. He says, I'm a smooth man. Which is funny, because there is a play on word here that works exactly in, English, in Hebrew as it would in English. You know, smooth operator. He's not simply saying, I'm smooth, he's I'm smooth. As he demonstrates it a little later. Right? But you know it is also the obedience of Jacob towards his mother. Rebecca says to him, Now therefore, my son, verse eight, obey my word as I command you. And Jacob doesn't say to her, well, who are you woman to command me? I'm Mr. Macho Man, do whatever I would no. The mother has the right to command her sons. Obey my word as I command you. This is the voice of the mother. And she has absolute right to be obeyed. So even though the husband is the head of the family and the wife is the heart of the family, when it comes to obedience of the children, the obedience isn't just towards the father, it is towards both of them. And remember that in the Gospel of St. John, when Jesus asks Our Lady during the, the wedding of Cana, O woman, what is it to you and me? My hour has not yet come. She turns around and what does she do? She gives a command. That's not a wish. That's a command. Do whatever he tells you. That's the command of a mother. We'll, we'll, we'll have more to say about that. And so she, she essentially prepares the food that her husband likes. Now, it's really interesting because Isaac told Esau, go and prepare for me the game the savory game, as I like it. Well, she knows how to prepare it too. So you notice, it isn't about preparing good food. It's not that Esau is the only one who knows how to prepare the food that his, that his father likes. Rebecca knows how to prepare it as well. The reason why he asked him was because it's part of that ceremonial. He had to prepare the food so he can receive the blessing. Okay, let me say that to you again. You have to prepare the food so you may receive the blessing. And what food am I talking about? That's the priest on the altar, obviously. But there's another food I'm talking about. What is the food that you bring to the altar and give to God the Father? Yeah, but the the bread and wine is what the priest prepares, right? But what do you add to this? Offering. Offering. What specifically? Sacrifice. 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 That's your food. That's what you're bringing. The sacrifice. Now let me clarify this. This business of sacrifice. Okay. In all of the scriptures, God never, ever tell us to put him to the test with one exception. Put, usually, putting God to the test is a sin. Sin and presumption. Hey, look Lord, I'm just going to jump from this building and now you love me so much you're going to catch me. That's putting God to the test. It right. doesn't work this way. Hmm? There's one, one specific scripture where God tells us, He tells us, put me to the test on this one. You know which one it is? Tithing. Thank you. Tithing. Tithing. So what is tithing? He says, put me to the test on this one. Tithe and see what will happen to you. What is tithing? Pardon? Uh-uh. That's too general. So there's soft tithing, there's hard tithing. Soft tithing, 10% of your net income. Hard tithing, 10% of your gross income. Let's start with the one which is 10% of your net income. Here's what you do. You take that check you get every month, and without thinking, automatically you take 10% of this, 10%, 5% 10%, 5% of which you will give to the church, 5% you give to charities. Might be charities around the church. That's tithing. Now, tithing, by the way, is not almsgiving. giving is what you give after tithing. Tithing is essentially what we owe God. Now, I tell you right now that maybe 1% or 2% of all Catholics do tithe. I highly recommend it. You're going to tell me, but this is, these are going to be, uh, of, of course, it's supposed you have income. All right? It's supposed you have a steady job, you have income. I highly recommend it. It's going to force you to sit down, look carefully at your budget, and yeah, there are, are going to be areas of sacrifice that you're going to have to do. And yeah, it bites, but it's a good bite. You tithe and see what the Lord will do in your life. Okay, now, what was I talking about this? What brought me here? Sacrifices. Sacrifices, Thank you. So that's tithing. The other forms of sacrifices are all the little things that you've done during your day. All the things that help you grow in virtue. All the things that you are doing out of love of God. All of this is the food you bring to the table. In return, God bestows His blessings upon you. So you're taking care of somebody who is ill. Uh, You're talking to someone who can't Stop talking. Of course, it doesn't happen to anybody, and it's kind of funny that I'm saying this. But anyhow, um, you are uh, you're dealing with with uh, a customer who is absolutely furious. You're dealing with a representative of a bank who couldn't care less about helping you. Nothing against banks; it just happens. Um, on and on, the list goes. God sends you all these hidden gifts during your day. What do you do with them? What do you do with them? Do you squander them? Or do you turn them into food for the altar? That's what you have to ask yourself. Right? So, that's what she tells him. Now, Esau was sent out in the field to bring game. Jacob was sent to the herd. One is sent outside the possession. The other one is within the possession. One has a much harder job to do. The other one has an easier job to do. But notice, she tells him, go and get me the choicest kid. Now, why kid and not lamb? Because we, remember, the sheep are those who are part of the the herd. The goats were not. Goats were not looked favorably on. So we are goats. We are the children of Adam. But but she tells him, go and get me the choicest. That means for us, when we come to the altar, we offer God the choicest parts. So the best parts of our day is what we offer God. Have we actually taken time in the morning, when we start our day, when we're sort of still... Um, able to focus, have we spent time in prayer at the beginning of our day? Or did we say to God, well, you know, when I go to bed after the latest game with the Chargers, I might say a word or two, God. Are we thinking of Him first? And tithing is a wonderful way of really putting everything in focus. First, give to God what is due to God. And then, take care of everything else. It's a, a great way of helping you focus on God. You know, there's a reason when you go to counseling that they make you pay for the sessions. You know why? Because if you are pay for the sessions, you don't miss them. You go. When you tithe, God suddenly is more present in your life. Because he's become expensive. I'm not saying this is the reason why you should do it. But there are aspects of it. On a very simple level. That really help you think about God. Now the blessing that was given. Involves the dew of heaven. As one of the expressions. So when Isaac blesses uh, uh, Jacob. He tells him. May God give you the dew of heaven. And the fatness of the earth. The fatness of the earth. Simply means that Earth will be fruitful. Right? The Jew of heaven is an interesting expression because in Israel, they really rely on dew in most of the dry seasons. So oftentimes the, the Mediterranean wind will carry forward moisture and drop it on land, and they rely on that. they relied on that, and they still rely on that, for, uh, for a way to carry them over, to tidy, tidy them over the dry seasons. Right? And that's what he's basically saying to him: May you never, <clears throat> uh, may you never need anything. May you ever be, um, may you ever be bountiful. Okay. Now, in our case, the Jew of heaven is the graces that God give us: the protection, the the um, the awareness of the importance of of truth in our life. The Jew of heaven. And the fatness of the earth is all the material need, all material goods that are, that are necessary for our life. So God blesses us; He gives us what we need, not what we want. What we need, as we fulfill His will. Now, when when Isa comes back, he asks for. He asks for. He recognizes that the blessing is gone. There's nothing he can do about it. But if he asks for a second one, the blessing is irrevocable. Once given, it cannot be taken back. It cannot be taken back. But Isaac tells him, I can't. The blessing is gone. I cannot call it back. There's nothing I can do about this. And he really doesn't give him any blessing. In fact, he tells him what he told Jacob already, that he's going to serve his brother. So, Effectively, God's will takes place in a roundabout way. And that's why I think Mother Angelica used to say, God writes straight with crooked lines. Right? The crooked lines are what we write, and the straight line is what he makes out of it through our own will. And in here, what we see is the role of Rebecca. Now, the fathers of the church, there are so many commentaries on, in, in, that, that take that angle, and I don't have time to quote all of them, But I want to uh, bring to your attention what Saint Louis de Montfort wrote about the way Rebecca worked, especially in relationship to the consecration to Our Lady. So, when you read it in this light, you see the following take place. First of all, first of all, Rebecca has access to Isaac. So here, Isaac symbolically, or if you will, uh, spiritually, represents God the Father. Now, every symbol in a church is not exact. It's not a perfect representation. So, for instance, Solomon is seen as a figure of Christ because he received wisdom. He asked for wisdom. And he's also the Antichrist when he went ahead and had you know, the 240 wives and all the concubines, etc. Right? So, none of, the, none of the figures in the Old Testament are perfect matches. But here, essentially, Isaac represents God the Father. And Rebekah has access she hears the words and here's what she does she takes jacob her son so what happens here is something that is really reserved to those who accept our lady as their mother and have a filial relationship to her particularly those who consecrate themselves to her to her meaning they become a um, her her own and now that there is this relationship between them she can command because she tells him obey my word as I command you and what she tells Jacob what Rebecca tells Jacob is what our lady tells us obey my word as I command you that means that our lives are not ours anymore they're the, they're hers the motto of Saint of of John Paul II, is totus tuus, which is taken from the book of St. Louis de Montfort, all yours. I am all yours. So once you become her own, you become hers. Therefore, she has right to command you. And that's what she does. Now, what, what does she do exactly? She takes a man who is not hairy and turns him into one who is. And then presents him to the Father. And then he, this man receives the blessing. Who prepares the food? She does. She's the one who prepares the food and gives the food to her son for the food to be presented before the Father. But she prepares the food. What does that mean to us? It means that we who are sinful men, when we go to Mary, she clothes clothes us with the clothing of who? Esau, right? In this particular instance, Esau represents Christ. Esau kept his clothes, especially the ceremonial ones, with his mother. She had access to them. She takes those, and she dresses Jacob with those clothing. And she changes his outlook, his nature, to be Christ-like. So that when he, her son, take the food that she prepared to the father, the father sees in him another son. That's what Our Lady does. Obviously, I mean, this is one reason when we call Mary the... The lady of every priest. Effectively, every priest is Marian. Because every priest is Jacob. Every priest goes to Mary before the Mass and says, help me celebrate Mass. And she says, obey as I command you. Who is more... Who is more... um, who, who is more able to bring an acceptable offering to, follow, to, to, the, to, the, to, to bring an acceptable offering to the son than his mother? Who can prepare us to do God's will than his mother? That's why we tend to say the fastest way, the easiest and the surest way to God is through Mary. Do as I command you." And there is a very strong word here because he says to her. Behold my mother, I am, uh, Isa is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Meaning, we're very different. How can I enter before, the presence of my father, when I am not, the Lord? I may get cursed. I am not worthy to enter before, before, the, the, the throne of the father. And what do we say in Latin right before communion? Right? I am not worthy to receive To receive you. Right? This is, Shades of what happened between Jacob and and Isaac. I'm not worthy to get in here. I'm not the firstborn. How could this happen? And then she says, Upon me be your curse, my son. Upon me be your curse, my son. Now think about that for a second. Mary was born without original sin. She didn't have the curse on her. But on the cross, she took that curse upon her. Because she offered her son twice. At the temple for circumcision and on the cross. Mary offered her son and suffered the agony with him. She took upon herself our curse. We think that the cross was a solitary endeavor. Just Jesus. Ah, oh, Our lady was right there. And she is a co-redemptrix. It means with and under Jesus. She saved us. Mary could not save us without Jesus. But Jesus didn't save us alone. Not because he couldn't do it. He's God. He can do anything he wants. But because he wished to include his mother. In his sorrow. And in his glory. Upon me be your curse, my son. That's who Mary is. Today, right now, for you. For you. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, if you've not heard it before, but if you have a tendency to go straight to Jesus, all I ask you is just ask Jesus to introduce you to his mother. After all, if you go meet a friend at his house, isn't it, isn't it just... Politeness to meet his mother or would just go to his house and ignore his mom? Think about that. Upon me be your curse my son. And so this is what our lady does. She is the one who takes us. She's the one who prepares us. She's the one who prepares the food. Meaning she knows how to take our prayers which are so weak the two kids that we just brought that are unfit to be presented before God and she turns them into an acceptable offering. That's why when we give our prayers to Mary, she turns them into an acceptable offering. And our prayers then become acceptable before the Lord because they come from her. And then, when she hears, when she hears that um, um, Esau has, um, pl- is plotting to kill Jacob over the blessing, she takes action to prevent that. And she sends her son away to her own kin. So when Mary is aware of dangers for us, she's already one step ahead. And she sends us to her own kin. That's what she does. And she presents it to Isaac in such a way that there's absolutely no guile in what she says. Because she reminds him of all the pain and suffering that the Hittite women have brought to them, and she doesn't want the same fate to happen to Jacob. And it is something with which Isaac completely agrees. And in telling him this, she reminds him of everything. She reminds him of the, of the promise that was given to... the prophecy that was given about, about Jacob. So she's able to also bring her husband with her. She's... Uh, really, the figure of Rebecca is absolutely beautiful. From the very beginning, all the way through the entire story... Where we hear of Rebecca, there is not one thing that she did that we could look at it as wrong. Not once. In the case of Sarah, we saw some um, reactions, that we say, "Well, why is she reacting this way? Right? Why did she take the, this maid and 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 uh, give it to her hus- give her to her uh, to her husband? And why did she want it to push her away?" In Rebecca, there is none of that. None of that truly one of the most beautiful um, person in the Old Testament is Rebecca. So, tonight, I'd like to leave you, I will take questions afterwards, but but in closing, I'd like to leave you with two thoughts. First one is, what am I bringing to God? What am I doing in my week to prepare for Mass? Is Mass... On my mind from Monday through Saturday, or is it something I remember 15 minutes before Mass? Do I get late to Mass? Getting late, getting late on purpose, meaning not taking the proper action to be here on time, getting late because we're lazy, getting late because we're not thinking about it, we're not planning for it, is a sin. It's a sin of presumption on God's grace. Do I get to Mass five minutes or ten minutes before to prepare my soul for what is going to happen? Or do I get there right on time, or three minutes after Mass has started, and I'm already, because the drive was so, uh, what am I doing with this? The second. So first, what am, what am I, how, what's my relationship to Mass? How important is it really in my life? what am I bringing to Mass? And a second, where's my relationship with Our Lady? What is Mary to me? And why? Think about that. Ponder the Mass. Think about Our Lady. And see what changes you have to do in your, in your heart. Specifically, as for, for, for us in the Eastern Eastern churches, we are already in uh, the season of Advent. And for the, for the Latin rite, we're going to soon enter the season of Advent, that's a wonderful season to meditate on this and think about Our Lady. Uh, So, I'll leave you with those two thoughts. Think about them and um, reread this chapter. Reread this chapter and I hope that in reading it you really discover the beauty of Rebecca because it's going to help you discover the beauty of the daughter of Rebecca, Our Lady, who is so much more beautiful. God bless you. Questions? Uh, yes, the question is, is it all right to bless your brother or sister? Absolutely, it is. it is fine to bless anybody. Right? Blessing is a wonderful thing. Even on Catholics with holy water, with holy water it's a blessing. Uh, it's not a baptism. So, um, you, you can bless anybody. Blessing is you're essentially wanting to impart God graces upon this person to the extent that you can. Now still, your blessing is not the same towards your brother or your sister as it would be to your own children. Because there, there is something more that God gives us. But definitely, yeah, absolutely. Wonderful, yes. Oh, very good question. Did Rebecca lie to her husband? Notice, Rebecca didn't lie to her husband. She didn't speak to him directly. Let me ask you this question. If somebody's holding a gun and is about to shoot somebody else is it, is it wrong to stop him? That's what's going on here. No. Okay, very good question. When Rebe- Rebe- Rebecca prefigures Mary and Isaac prefigures God the Father doesn't that mean that God is being duped, right? As I mentioned earlier, metaphors or symbolic representation have their limits. Right? They're 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 seldom one to one. Why? Because Neither Rebecca nor Isaac are the reality. They are pointers to the reality, right? What you see in it isn't that that Isaac is. It's not that God the Father is being duped. Rather, it's God the Father yielding to the voice of Mary. The power of intercession is what we get out of it, right? Not that she, that, not that God is being duped by Mary, but her power of intercession is so great that. The Trinity listens to her. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah? Make sense? Okay. Yes? Oh, a very good question. I don't intend to mean that just the Father can impart the blessing. Either mother or Father can. Carries the same weight. Uh, yes? Very good question. Can you bless someone who is not present? No, you can pray for someone who is not blessed. Pre, blah, present. But the, the person needs to be present for you to bless them. And usually a blessing is physical. Right? So that's why we use the sign of the cross and we use holy water. There's a physical element to it. There is a touch. Right? Why? Because we have a body. We worship with our bodies. The second question, can it st- is it still a blessing if the person does not accept it? It is a blessing, but it returns to God. So, it returns to God, meaning that the blessing does not, is not yielding fruits. But nothing will be lost with God. Right, The greatest recycling is spiritual. So if you pray to someone, let's say someone who's deceased, and it just so happens that this person is in hell, what happens to your prayer? It gets applied to someone else. The same thing, in the case of the blessing, it's not that it gets applied to someone else, but it's never lost. Yeah? You had a question? Can a parent consecrate their son and daughter, consecrate to whom? Yes, absolutely. In fact, we do it routinely in the baptism. Baptism is the greatest consecration there is. It's consecration to God. And then at the end of the baptism, in the Maronite rite, and possibly in the Chaldean rite, and it used to be in the old Latin rite, would consecrate the kids to Mary. Having said that, that protection really flows from the parents. Now, there is another kind of consecration that happens when the person decides that they want to consecrate themselves to Our Lady. Yeah? Yes? Very good question. Very good question. So, the question is, uh, Jacob is obedient to his mother even though she's asking him to do something that is tricky. In our case, should we be obedient to our parents even when they ask us something that is um, against our conscience? Very good question. So, in the case of Rebecca, she isn't asking something that isn't right. She's asking Jacob to do the right thing. Because the blessing belongs to him. Number one, Esau sold it. He sold his birthright. And the blessing. And number two, because of the prophecy, it was meant for him. Uh, probably he does. Yes, he cares about the blessing, whereas his brother, his brother doesn't. But even if he didn't, objectively speaking, it is something that was addressed to him, meant to him. So she's not doing something against God's will. In fact, she's doing God's will. Right? And it, it, it's actually something that will not cause God's wrath against Isaac. All right? Now, if our parents ask us to do something against our conscience, the answer is no. Because presumably our conscience is well-formed, according to the truth. So, for instance, if our parents says to us, and I I hear this so often, uh, a struggling family have, let's say, four kids. And the, the wife is pregnant. And they announce it to the parents. And the parents' reaction is, what's wrong with you? Don't you know what you're supposed to do? Well, in that case, it's obvious that the young couple must not respectfully listen to the parents. Yeah? Yes. How did Jacob receive the blessing when in fact Isaac intended to give it to Esau? Because, the ble- very good question, the blessing is physical. Once he put his hand on the head of his child and he utters the blessing, the blessing flows. Yes. Yes. The question is, what? So Esau wanted for material good. What is Jacob wanting it for? There is no clear, clear-cut answer right now. The answer will become clearer as we go. But presumably, one thing we can say is that Jacob has this calling from God, and he is a man of prayer. So it's really important for him, even though he may not know exactly why. But there's something in it that is tugging at his heart. And you can see it in his obedience to his mother. Esau was not obedience like this, obedient like this to her, to her because he went and had two wives. Even though they were making their life hard to his mother, he couldn't care less. So there's a different makeup in in their being and how they act that lead us to think that he was really after spiritual goods. It meant something to him. Yeah? Yes? So am I implying that Rebekah and uh, Esau committed no sin even though there is what, what, what looks like an objective lie, the answer is absolutely yes. Suppose you have somebody who's about to commit suicide. And you, and he says to you, well, would you be able to give me a house tomorrow? And you know, you're already thinking that once you can pull him out of this crisis that he's in right now, that question will make no sense to him. That question, he will see for himself that that question is stupid. Meaning there will be no material consequence. So he's not asking this question and signing on a dotted line because he knows that he's going to get a house. He's saying it now, but not in complete, completely in his full uh, capacity, mental capacity. But you know, if he, but but, you're, but you know, if he said if you if if you said no, you won't get a house, you'll push him further into despair. What would you do? No, there is no mean. That's what I'm trying to point out to you. You see, for a mean, there must be material consequence. There must be material consequence. It's not just words. So if you come to me and say, hey, uh, I want to do this, uh, this deal with you, and um, um, what we're going to do is we're going to work on this, and three years from now, we're going to have this skyscraper. Uh, what I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm the one saying this to you, and you, and you have experience, and you know, that I have no clue what I'm talking about. Right? But you know that there is at least some energy, some interest, some intent on my part. But you know it's never going to happen. Right? So you are in front of somebody who, is, who has energy, intent, and desire to do something. But he's putting as a as goal something that's completely unrealistic. So you say, all right, yeah, let's do that. But you know that as this person gains experience, he himself will realize how foolish it was. Yet he will be, he will be happy for all the experience he has gained. Versus if you simply said no and sent him away and he learned nothing. Therefore, even so you lied, there's no material consequence that harmed that person. Do you understand? So in this specific instance, there was no material consequence that harmed Isaac. In fact, Isaac would thank his wife later because she did what he would have wanted to do, the right thing. Do you understand? For a lie to be sinful, there must be material consequence. If somebody lies to you, calls you up and says, uh, I thrashed your car. It's destroyed. It's a lie. And five minutes later, he says, ah, April's full day. He lied. He knew the car wasn't thrashed. Let's say you lent him the car. He drove it. And it's the car of your dreams. And five minutes later, he calls you and says, you will not believe what happened. The car is thrashed, totaled. It's a lie. And then after the... Hey, April's full day. Is that a sin? No, of course it's not. Correct. That's not what happens between Rebecca and Isaac. She knows Isaac really well. And she knows what is right. And she's helping Isaac do the right thing. God never told them, it's okay for you to have a baby outside of your marriage. Yes, because nothing in what she did was outside of God's plan. Nothing in what Rebecca did is outside of God's plan. What she's doing is for the good of all, even though they may not recognize it. It's for the good of Esau, because he would have squandered this blessing and would have received curses for it. It's for the good of Isaac, who is supposed to give the right blessing. It's for the good of Jacob. So she is doing something that is for the good of all three of them and doing God's will. There's nothing wrong in it. That's the fundamental difference. Exactly. Exactly. Now she had to go in a roundabout way because of what? The weakness of Isaac, the stubbornness of uh, of, uh, of Esau, and his refusal to, to obey. But she was doing something that was fundamentally good for all three of them. That's the difference. And she did it in such a way that there was no material harm to any of them. At the end of the day, Jacob goes away, right? Who gets the, the stuff? Who gets all the riches? Esau. He got what he wanted. And remember, when he meets his brother, he's, it's all forgotten. He doesn't care. The guy is rich. The guy has everything he wanted in life. She didn't steal that away from him. Do you see? Okay. Yes. Good question. Are we allowed to bless our homes against evil spirit? But when you bless your home with holy water or with, uh, with, uh, with uh, salt, when you throw holy water in a room, even if you said no words, and if, let's say, there was a, an evil spirit present, what do you think is going to happen? It's like you're, you're, throwing, uh, you're, you're throwing water on sulfur. The, the, holy, the, the, the evil spirits cannot abide holy water. So what are you doing? Get my point? Of course you are. The difference is that you are not allowed, the church does not want you or me to um, um, exorcise somebody. Because an exorcism is done by the power of the church, not by the power of the exorcist. This is not magic. It's the power and authority of the church. Therefore, it's only reserved to the priests that have been appointed as exorcists to be able to exercise this power. But other than that, you can say prayers of, of deliverance, you can say prayers of protection, you can bless your house, and you can uh, bless it with holy water. When, absolutely. Yeah, invoke the, the protection of God and angels. For, no, 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 no. Not at all. Not at all. Yes. The question is, what happens to so children who were never blessed because the parents didn't know? There is no hard and fast answer. Uh, they could still receive blessings from God, Right? Uh, God is, you know, it's absolutely possible that they do. I'm not necessarily saying something bad is going to happen to them. It's just that they have, uh, there is a channel of grace that was not given to them. Right? Yes. Very good question. My father and my mother are in mortal sin, and they bless me with holy water. Um, Because this is a function of a parent that is given by God, the blessing will still flow from them to you. They may not benefit from it. The blessing isn't our power. I don't have powers. Okay, As a father or as a mother, we don't have powers. We're simply exercising a priestly function that is given to us by Jesus Christ. And we are imparting upon our children, we are communicating to them a blessing that he wishes to communicate to them. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. When you bless your children, you're letting the children come to him. Right? Now, if I'm instead state of mortal sin... I'm not going to benefit from it. It flows from me to them, and I get no benefit. Yeah, your second question. Well, the blessing was given by Isaac to uh, Jacob, and that's providence. This is what God wanted in the first place, right? But even if it wasn't the case, the blessing would still be given. Look, a blessing is an is is a spiritual power. People are sort of sp- sometimes very um, confused when they hear of hexes and curses. And would ask, well, how could somebody curse you? Well, how can somebody take a gun and shoot you? That bullet, when it leaves the, the, the cannon, the, 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 um, the, the weapon, the gun, right? It's just going to obey the laws of physics, right? Likewise, there are spiritual blessings that are imparted, that may be given to the wrong, um, the wrong child, so to speak, and the blessing will go to them and will wash over them and will not abide but the blessing goes. Okay? It's true power. This is not... I'm not kidding you when I say it's true power. That's why St. Paul said, bless and don't curse. Because cursing kids is exactly what it is. And it has a lot of power that is carried through. And especially for those of you who are from the Middle East, please, purify, wash your mouth with holy soap. There are many, many expressions... Amongst people from the Middle East who are used towards children which are not proper. Even if they're not meant, do not use them. I'm not going to go through the litany. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's very good for you. You don't have to learn it. Any other question? Yes. Uh, Very good question. Can you undo a curse? Um, it seems that the answer is no, you can 't, uh, as you can see, the blessing is gone. he can't take it back. The best way to think of those things exactly physically if somebody shoots somebody, can he undo the shot it 's gone now you can heal right you can you can therefore take the bullet out and heal the person and help them uh, move on right and there are ways to do that, but the thing has is gone, and you can't just call it back. And that's why, for instance, um, you can notice um, uh, Esau doesn't ask for the blessing. He doesn't say to his father, well, you know, okay, you didn't know it was me, just take it back, give it to me. He says, just give me another one. But he can bless him, but he can't give him the blessing of the firstborn. Okay? Yes? You had a question? Very good question. Um, The blessing, in this case, was only for one child. What about us? Does this mean we only have to bless the firstborn? What are we all in the presence of God? We are children of God. Therefore, we are all equal. In a spiritual realm, that specialty that was given to the firstborn doesn't exist for us. Why? Who is the firstborn? Jesus. But then what does Jesus want to do? Bless all of us. And notice, He didn't say, let the firstborn of your kid come to me. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. So therefore, no, you can bless all of your kids. There's blessing aplenty with Jesus. Very good question. Yes. Um, so on the material level, obviously, he's, he wants to make sure he has the right son. He's perturbed. He doesn't hear, he, he's hearing one voice. And it's, you know, things are not adding up. Right? Things are not adding up. And uh, so that's on the material side. Right? And he uses all the senses, actually. Right? The touch. Uh, he can't see, the hearing, the touch, the smell, the taste to sort of decide, oh, it's, uh, it's my, the right son. And in fact, what's interesting is that obviously he's, he's been prompted by God to go ahead and do the blessing. Because once, once he discovers his mistake, notice he doesn't start you know, screaming and yelling and, and calling uh, Jacob names. He's sort of realizing this is what God wanted all along. Now, what does it mean for us? It means that we have to examine ourselves. God will examine our five senses. We can't present ourselves to God if we haven't purified ourselves. Okay?
0: We hope you've enjoyed this talk from Corbono. For more information about this and other talks, please visit our website at www.